So I think this is the most, one of the most awkward questions that we ask people. We ask people, how are you doing? Right? How are you doing? How are you doing? Wonderful. Anybody ever lied to that question? Yep. Yep. And we've said I'm fine a lot of times when we're not, right? Yep. And it's even more awkward, I think, when somebody asks you about your Christian life. Right? We ask people about their Christian faith. And we say, how are you doing with your spiritual walk? You ever been asked that? Oh my gosh, nobody? Yes? You ever lied about that? Come on. Yes? It's a complicated question, right? It's hard to always know how to answer those questions, right? It reminded me, it reminded me of a story of a guy, a farmer who got hit by a, who got hit by a semi-trailer truck. And after the accident, he decided that his injuries were severe enough, he was going to go take the trunking company to court. And so he sued the trucking company for his injuries. And so the court date came and he showed up and he was on the stand and the fancy trucking lawyer asked him, he said, didn't you tell the officer who showed up on the scene that you were fine? And farmer Joe decided to answer the question. And he said, well, he goes, I was in my truck and I had just put my mule Bessie in the back of the truck. The attorney stopped him. He said, sir, he said, please just answer the question. Did you not tell the officer on the scene that you were fine? And Farmer Joe didn't even act like he heard the question. And he went on to say, and Bessie was in the truck and we were on our way to the fair and the lawyer flipped out, right? He said, judge, can you please direct the, the um, fellow on the stand to just answer the question? Of whether he told the officer on the scene that he was fine when he showed up. He said, we believe he said that. And now he here, now he's here weeks later suggesting something else. We think he's a fraud. And the judge looked at the lawyer and he said, you know what? I'm, a, I'm sort of interested in Joe's story about Bessie. So he directed Joe to go ahead and answer the question. And he said, well, he said the deal was, he said, I put Bessie in the truck and we were headed to the fair and we were making our way to the fair. And he said, then the semi truck or semi trailer drove through the stop sign and smashed into my truck and me and Bessie were in it. He goes, I was thrown into one ditch and Bessie, my mule was thrown into another. And he said, no, I was hurt bad enough. He said, I just didn't want to move. But he said, I could hear old Bessie in the other ditch just moaning and groaning from her injuries. And he said, a few minutes later, a police officer showed up. And he heard Bessie and he walked over to the ditch and saw how bad she was and pulled out, her, pulled out his gun and shot Bessie. He said, then he made his way over to my ditch with his gun out. And he said, Bessie wasn't doing very good. So how are you feeling? Right? That's a long joke to get there, right? I think it's complicated at times to answer the question, just personally, how are you doing? I think sometimes it's easy to say I'm fine when you're probably not. But I think more importantly, when people ask us questions about our, about our walk with Jesus, it's easy to, one, not know how to answer the question, right? Like, how do you know how you're doing sometimes? And I think part of the reason is, is because we... We don't, we don't know what to measure, right? 
I mean, for years and years and years, really the only measurement of how you were doing spiritually was, did, did you go to church, right? Did you read your Bible? And did you pray? And if you went to a certain kind of church, especially a Baptist church, right, did you give money in the offering? But I'm not sure it's an easy thing to answer how you're doing. And I don't think the Bible designed it to be a complicated answer. And so last week we talked about John 15. How many of you were here last week? Okay. I don't know how many of you were online, but I'm going to guess all of you, right? And we talked about the relationship that we have there in those equations. And ultimately the equation is this, that being connected to Jesus, being connected to his word, right? Ultimately produces fruit. And that fruit, right? That fruit then, okay, glorifies God and proves our discipleship. John 15 verse 8 says this. This is to my father's glory that you and I as believers do what? Bear much fruit. So there's the measurement, right? There's the measurement that you and I can use to answer the question, how are you doing spiritually? The question is, are we bearing any fruit? Because he says that when you bear fruit, you show, and in the Greek, right, that Greek phrase to show basically means to prove that you've moved from one realm to another, right? I, I liken it to having a wedding ring, right? If you tell somebody you're married and you don't wear a wedding ring, a lot of people will say, well, then where's your ring? Because it's an outward evidence that you've actually moved from being single, right, into married life. Hey, I graduated from so-and-so. The diploma is your evidence to show people, hey, I graduated from such and such college. Does that make sense? So when he says fruit is the evidence of our moving from death to life, from separation from Jesus to being connected to Jesus, he says it shows yourselves to be my disciples. And why is that important? Because Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said this. Jesus came to them and said to the disciples, right? Or to the apostles, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in the Greek, it is as you go, right? Therefore, go. And in the Greek, it's stated as you are going. Here's what you do. You make what? Disciples of all nations. So here's what Jesus is saying. And that Greek word disciple means to be a follower, right? To be a learner, to be a pupil, okay? Here's what he says. You need, as you go into these nations, to make people who are following after my teaching, right? And produce fruit because fruit is the evidence of their following me. Does that make sense to everybody? Right? It's not complicated to measure how you're doing as a Christian. The problem is we don't know what fruit is. Would you agree with that? Right? So the Greek word for fruit is karpon or karpos, right? It's used 66 times in the New Testament. I looked at every one of those verses. I've done it many times. Because I believe that if Jesus said, if you're connected to me, you'll bear fruit. And if you don't produce fruit, I'll cut you off. We probably should know what fruit is. Yes or no? Right? 
My guess is not many Christians would know. And they certainly wouldn't know biblically what Jesus said fruit was. So when somebody asks you how you're doing spiritually, I think it's a pretty hard question to answer because we literally don't know. We know the stakes. We know the power of fruit. Without it, we're cut off. With it, we prove that we're a disciple. So how many of you online and how many of you want to hear want to show the world that you're a disciple of Jesus? Let me hear you say amen. Right? So we need to know what fruit is. Right? We know what fruit is. So here is what the Bible says is the proof of fruit, right? That second point there, right? Here's the proof of fruit. Now let's read a couple of verses before I get into what the Bible says fruit is. This is, this is a parable that Jesus told about a vineyard owner, right? Vineyard owner gave it over to people to tend to it and other people would come to help and they would kill him and eventually they killed, killed the owner's son. Here's what Jesus said in the parable. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, after the son of the owner has been killed, he's paralyzing, paralleling this to Jesus. He says, what is he going to do to the tenants? He's going to bring those wretches to a wretched inn. And they replied, or they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give them, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone or the chief cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in your eyes. He goes on to say this, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you, the Jews, he says, and it's going to be given to a people who will produce its, the kingdom's fruit. Man, do you know what the church age is supposed to be doing? Producing the fruit of the kingdom. And so when someone says, how are you doing as a Christian? How's your spiritual life? If you don't know what we're supposed to be producing as fruit, how can you answer that question any way except dishonestly? And the reality is, I think it's absolutely imperative that you know these things. I think it's impossible. I mean, listen, Jesus makes it clear that the job of the people of the kingdom today is to produce its fruit. Right? I don't know if most churches know what that looks like. Here's what he says in Matthew 12, 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Makes sense, right? If it's a good tree, it's got good what? Right? And make the tree bad and its fruit's going to be bad. For a tree, a tree is recognized by its what? Validating what John said in John 15. If you're a disciple, your fruit will prove that you're a disciple. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Listen to this. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. I'm going to tell you that all men are going to have to give account of the day of judgment for, listen to this, for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. So here's what he says. A good tree produces good fruit and a good tree has a good heart. Right? Make the tree good and the fruit is what? Good. How do you make a tree good? You make a heart good. And you know where evidence of a good heart is most noticeable? 
by what we say. Isn't that what he said? For out of the overflow of the heart, we speak. Doesn't take a lot to know what's in a person's heart. Just listen to what they say. Whether it's a posting on social media, right? Whether it's a ranting text or whether it's blowing up verbally, right? I mean, it doesn't take long to figure out by a person's speech that that's an indication of how good the tree is. So he says, make the tree good. So here's what we know. We've got to get our hearts right to produce good fruit. Can somebody say amen? Right? We've got to be able to do that. And that's a hard thing to do. Uh, Jesus said this way in Luke. Luke wrote, wrote it this way in Luke 6. He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his... So he clarifies it. Right? A good tree produces good fruit. And a good tree is a tree that has a good what? Heart. And he says, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Our mouth indicates the health of our heart. So take a minute. Take a minute here and take a minute online and ask yourself. Take an inventory of what you say. And then ask yourself. Do my words reflect a good heart? Or are they reflection of a heart that's not that healthy? Right? Because the reality is, you know, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Right? Here's what Jesus said. A heart, a heart can be evaluated by the words that come out of our mouth. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think the world thinks about our hearts as believers based on what we say? Do you think the world sees hearts that are good based upon the post and the hate and the anger and the vitriol and the condemnation and the judgment that often comes out of the mouth of a believer? Do you think a believer goes, oh man, that person is a really good person? Or does a believer or does a non-believer hear the heart of a Christian person and go, wow. I have no interest in following that person. And I certainly have no interest in believing what they believe. Right? Good fruit comes out of a good tree. And a good tree is produced by a good heart. And a good heart is evidenced by what we say. Right? So there's, listen, there's some work right there for all of us. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? Right? How we speak to our spouses how we speak to our friends, how we speak to our enemies. That's why Jesus said, right, right, when when you are reviled, revile not back, right? Don't return evil for evil. But when somebody curses you, you what? Bless them, right? Because words matter. My mom told me this all the time. Like I was, you know, I was the, the I was the king in her mind of the coarse conversation. Right? I love Jesus, but I had no problem telling off-color jokes. I had no problem saying hateful things. And she would tell me all the time, Cord, your words matter. And I'd be like, oh, mom, grow up, you know? You know, just thinking she was old and, you know, and sorry, mom, right? But she was right, right? Our heart is evidence by what we say. 
And a heart that isn't good is going to have a hard time producing good fruit. And here's the problem. If we're not producing good fruit, if we're not producing fruit at all, it's going to be hard to show the world that we're followers of Jesus. Right? And listen, we know this, that without Jesus, people stand in a, in a position before God that they're condemned. Amen? People need Jesus. And they need us to show them Jesus. Right? And so, we've got to be people who produce good fruit. So, there are six. Everybody say six. There are six instances in the New Testament that describe exactly what fruit looks like. You don't have to guess. You can build yourself your own, your own evaluation sheet to ask yourself this, am I producing fruit for God? Okay? So here's the first one, Romans 1. Romans 1, 11 through 13. Paul says this, I long to see you, right? He's longing to see the people in Rome so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. He said, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't, so let's be clear, right? Your faith, those of you online, your faith has the power to mutually encourage another person. Somebody say amen, right? So you say, you, we talked about it last week, do you have to come? Do you have to come to be a, and, and, does that make you a Christian? No. But here's the thing, when you do come, it makes it easier to mutually encourage each other along the way. Amen? Right? He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you in Rome, but have been prevented from doing so, <clears throat> excuse me, until now, in order that I may have a harvest or fruit, carpon, among you, just as I have had among the other what? Gentiles. Here's what Paul says is fruit. Seeing people converted to faith in Jesus Christ. What did Paul do when he went to other Gentile nations? He preached the gospel. People came to faith in Christ. Churches were established. And he moved on. He says, I'm wanting to come to Rome because here's my hope. My hope is that I will have some fruit among you as I did with other Gentile nations. Meaning, fruit represents getting people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? Right? It's a simple measurement. Right? Are you participating in seeing people come to faith? Listen, we measure this. Right? We tell our staff we exist to make it hard to go to hell in this generation. We tell you that. Right? How do we measure that? Well, one of the things we measure is, is it happening? Right? Are people coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Because we know that Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, the gospel works. Are you producing the fruit of seeing people come to faith in Christ? That's one example of fruit. Amen? All right. Here's another one. Romans 15. We could, and listen, I could spend one night preaching on each of these sermons. I just want to get through them so that you can, you can begin to process this. <clears throat> he says in Romans 15, here's the second fruit. Paul writes, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, he says, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, financial, for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For, the, for if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after Paul says, I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this what? Fruit, I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. What's he say? He says, here's another piece of fruit that you can produce. You share materially when people have need. Right? It's evidence of fruit. Jesus said, if you're connected to the, if you're connected to the vine, you'll produce what? Fruit. Fruit is seeing people come to faith in Christ, being a part of the conversion process. Paul said, I'll do anything. He said, I'll do anything to win one person to Jesus. Why? Because it's evidence of fruit. Paul says, here's another one. When people are in need and you contribute materially, you're producing what? Fruit. It's that simple. And listen, don't give me this. Your time is as good as money. Listen, I can give you an hour. You can't transfer that into buying a hamburger at McDonald's. Yes? Yes? Does God want your time? Absolutely. Does God want your money? Of course he does. Why? Because it's evidence of fruit. What do you think Paul took from Macedonia and Achaia to give to the folks in Jerusalem? He took money. Why? Because they had a need. Beth Roberts needs a truck. We want to meet that need. We collect money to make sure that people are fed. We ask for money for the food pantry. Why? Because we want to produce the fruit that proves our discipleship of Jesus. Right? It's important to the mission because what happens? When people see disciples of Jesus, they see God's glory and allows them to follow him as well. Conversions. Is fruit. Meeting the needs of other people, right? Is fruit. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes or no? Right? Here's the third one Galatians 5. You know what? I want you to skip Galatians 5, David, and just go to Philippians 1 real quick. So, Philippians 1. So, there's Philippians 4. There you go. So, here's another one. For me, is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this is going to mean fruitful labor. Everybody say fruitful labor, right? So he says, if I stay, I'm going to produce fruit in my work. Now he's going to describe what that fruit is. He says, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. He said, I'm torn between the two. If I, des I desire to be, to depart from this world, he said, and be with Jesus, which is better for him by far. Right? He says, but it's more necessary for you, Paul says in Philippi, that I remain in my own body. Why? Convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain to do what? And I'm going to continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So what's he going to do to produce fruitful labor? He's going to come alongside other believers to encourage them and help them in their faith and in their joy. He's going to be a part of the maturation process. 
Anybody in here ever grown in their faith because of the encouragement and support of somebody else? Yes or no? Right? That's, that's fruit. That's fruit. Right? Paul says, if I stay, I've only got one thing to do. He said, fruitful labor is the only thing I'm here to do. And what does that look like? I come alongside you to help you in the progress of your joy and your faith. Listen, for some of you, some of the greatest fruit you can produce is coming along people and helping them grow in their own faith journey. Right? That's fruit. Right? That matters to God in our, in our walk with Him when it comes to producing fruit. Okay, so that's three. Being a part of the, the conversion process, making sure that we give to those who have a need. Well, I mean, what did Jesus say? If you love your brother, right, you'll do what? If you see them in need, you meet their need, right? That's what love looks like. And then Paul says, coming along people to encourage them in the maturity process is fruit as well. Here's a fourth one, Hebrews 13, 15. This one's pretty simple. The writer of Hebrews says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of what? Sacrifice of what? Praise the fruit of our lips that confesses his name. What we did tonight, before when we started service, with those three songs, where we produce the fruit of our lips by praising the name of Jesus, that's fruit. Why do, why do pastors, why have pastors always wanted you to come when we gather for worship? Because we know whether we articulated it well or not, here's what we know. That fruit producing disciples praise the name of Jesus. They just do. And it's, listen, how many of you have ever, ever watched online at home? Some of you. How many of you are grateful that we have that option? Right? What a great option. But how many of you who've ever watched online or how many of you watching online right now can get distracted while you're watching online? Especially if you watch on your phone. A message pops up, right? A notification pops up. Or you've got it playing on your TV, right? You're in the kitchen and the worship's playing or you're doing laundry or the kids are screaming, right? Anybody go through that while you're watching online, right? It's a lot more complicated. But when we come in here... And we turn the lights down and we give you an opportunity to simply focus on the fruit of our lips by praising the name of Jesus. It's a powerful exercise in producing the fruit that disciples should have. Listen, being a part of corporate worship is important. It's a great opportunity for you to exercise fruit that disciples should produce. Does that make sense to you, church? Listen, Worship and praise in the name of Jesus is what Christians do. It's fruit that gives evidence to the world. Why do we invite people into these doors? It's not because, listen, let's just be honest. We don't invite, we don't go out into the community and invite everybody we know because we think they're all going to be great to get along with. We don't invite everybody here to meet Jesus because we think they're all going to become our best friends. Some of the people that we invite are really hard to get along with. Yes or no? Right? We invite them here so that they can experience what believers do when they gather. And that's produce fruit that shows our discipleship. And that's a powerful experience. 
I didn't get invited to church because the church was built to welcome me. I got invited to church because people who invited me wanted me to meet Jesus. And every Sunday I gathered with these farmer folks in the middle of nowhere. And every Sunday they worshipped in the name of Jesus. It wasn't the music I listened to. But at some level it didn't matter. Because in the production of the fruit of worship in the name of Jesus, it helped me find him in that mess. There are people who walk through our doors that find Jesus through our simple act, our simple act of worshiping. I can tell you that for certain. I've been here 12 years and I cannot tell you the number of conversations I've had with first-time guests who don't know Jesus. And the one thing they tell me every time is this. I felt the Spirit of God move in worship. Why? Because it's fruit. It matters. Listen, we're always going to, we're going to push all of you online. We're going to push all of you in here. We're going and, and we're going to push you to get back and to be a part of corporate worship because it's fruit. I mean, listen, the numbers are staggering of the number of people that used to come and worship here in person versus the current number of people that come here and worship. And listen, I get that there are some there is some fear associated with what we've gone through with the pandemic. There's also a chance that people have grown less concerned about gathering in person than they once were two years ago. And here's the problem with that. It puts people in a position to not produce the kind of fruit that others might need to see when they show up here, right? So man, I wanna encourage you online. I wanna encourage you, those of you in here, it's why the writer of Hebrews said this, don't forsake the assembling together as some have gotten in the habit of doing. Ultimately, it becomes a habit to not be a part of it, right? I will encourage you not to. And here's why. Not because we're keeping track or because God's keeping track. It's because it's a great way to produce fruit that proves our discipleship in following Jesus. Amen? James 3.18 says this. Here's a fifth one, Okay. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest or a or fruits of what? Righteousness. Here's a great way to be a fruit-producing Christian. Sow peace. Everybody say, sow peace. That means we don't sow discord. That means we don't sow divisiveness. That means we don't sow conflict. That means we don't sow argumentative behavior. He says this, peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of what? Sons of God. So what do sons of God do? They sow peace. What do you think a world would look like with Christians who sowed peace continually? Think it would make a difference? Absolutely. Listen, are there challenges to that? Of course there are. But again, if we're staying on mission, and that's to make sure that we make it hard for people to go to hell, this becomes an easy thing to do. Listen, there, there are times, listen, I know I come across as meek and mild up here. But I'm a, I'm a fairly, I'm a fairly opinionated person. And it has been, it's been one of the greatest challenges of my spiritual journey to learn how to sow peace when I want to win conflict. 
Because listen, I'm not sowing conflict. I'm winning it. I'm not sowing arguments. I'm winning them. Anybody follow? Like, like I used, I mean, listen, I used to be the kind of person that was so, well, I was right all the time. And if you didn't believe me to stick around the conversation long enough, I would prove it. Right. I just wasn't very easy to get along with. One of the things that God had to teach me in the journey of getting here and staying here was that I had to learn that the mission required peace and not conflict, that the mission required peace and not discord, that the mission required peace and not winning every stupid argument. And if there's one thing our world today needs in 2022, it's Christians who are less concerned about winning arguments and Christians who are more concerned about sowing peace. And why? Because it's fruit of discipleship. Why are some of your posts on Facebook and Instagram wrong? Because they sow discord. But I'm right, Pastor Cord. I don't care. It's right for you, but it's wrong for the mission. Because Christians sow peace. We don't sow discord and animosity and arguments. We sow peace because it's our fruit. Does that make sense to you? So we've got participating in conversions. We've got meeting the needs of people who have those needs. Materially meeting those people's needs. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're naked, close them. If they're sick, visit them. Right? If they're thirsty, give them a drink of water. Right? Very concrete material needs that Christians meet. Right? Another one of those things that we do is Philippians 1. We come alongside and encourage people in the progress of their faith. We get involved in helping people mature as a Christian. That's another fruit. Here's the fourth one was we worship. We worship in the name of Jesus. The fifth one is that we sow peace. Those are five incredibly easy to measure fruits. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? I mean, you can look at your life and I can ask you now, how's your spiritual life? Let's go through them. Let's go through your participation in conversions. Let's go through your meeting people's needs. Let's go through your corporate worship. Let's go through, are you, are you encouraging people in their maturity process? And are you so in peace? I guarantee you that's not a complicated thing to do. And here's the sixth one. Go back to that Galatians 5 passage, David, if you don't mind. Right? Galatians chapter 5, Paul opposes what the spirit produces in you versus what your flesh produces. So everyone in here, 1 Corinthians 13 or 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple, the Holy Spirit, and God dwells in you? Yes or no? Everybody know that? Right? So Holy Spirit has made his home in you, and here's what he produces. And he calls it fruit. He says, this is the fruit, the carpon of the spirit. So the spirit dwells in you as believers. This is what should come out of us. Everybody read it with me. Love, peace, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So now think about it. Somebody says, how are you doing in your spiritual walk? Ask yourself, well, spirit lives in me. Right? So I should be producing love. And love is patient and it's kind and it's not selfish, doesn't seek its own. Right? Boast in the truth, doesn't keep track of wrong, never gives up, always stays in it. Right? Love, joy. 
I mean, how many gloomy Christians do you know? I mean, Eeyore's everywhere. Right? Right? The, the Spirit produces what? Joy. Joy. Right? It produces patience. Patience. How many impatient, rude Christians do you know? Too many. I mean, I, I ran restaurants for 10 years and my servers hated working Sundays. Because they did not want to serve the church crowd. Because they were the most rude and the most impatient people and the worst tippers on the planet. That's a wonderful evaluation of church people, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. See, I don't think it's complicated to measure what God expects out of you. God expects fruit. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and show yourself to the world that you're a disciple. Pretty simple. Okay, what's fruit? Conversions, meeting the needs of people, encouraging people in their journey of faith, right? Uh, Making sure that we worship God, that we worship in the name of Jesus, that we sow peace, and that we produce the fruit of the Spirit. There's your six areas to evaluate your faith journey. And here's what God says. Once I get fruit from you in any of those six areas, I'm going to harvest that fruit and then I'm going to prune you because I want what? I want more. So it's an ongoing cycle with God. It's constantly linear moving forward, but it's constantly cyclical as well because God wants fruit and then he wants pruning and then he wants fruit and then he wants pruning. You get the idea that being a Christian can be complicated and hard? Because you have great seasons and you have hard seasons. You have great seasons and you have hard seasons. Why? Because the mission requires fruit. And the only way to get a second harvest is to put that thing through a pruning season. Listen, it's people who talk about Christianity, listen, there is nothing easy about being a Christian. It's just a lot more simple to evaluate than we've made it. So when people say, how are you doing as a Christian? At least now, if you know these things, you can, you can practice them. You can answer the question, right? You can have an idea. Now, let's wrap this thing up. You need to know, and I need to know, how does God go about getting this fruit? Can we all agree, everybody online, everybody here, that God really cares that we produce fruit? Yes or no? Right? And it is a tell for God. That if we're connected to Jesus and we're not producing fruit, he will cut us off. Yes or no? Right? So, man, we got to get fruit. You know what that fruit is now. I went through every verse, 66 verses in the New Testament that contain that word. And these are the six things that fruit does. Now, how does God work in our lives to get that fruit? Three things, three places. God tells us exactly how he does it. Here's the first one. In John 12. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. They said, we'd like to see Jesus. So Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew went to Philip, and Philip in turn told Jesus, right? Jesus replied to this request to see him, right? The hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed, 
But if it dies, it produces many seeds, much fruit. The man who loves his life will lose it. The man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant will be also. Listen, here's the first way that God gets fruit from us. Any of those six areas, here's what God requires for fruit to be produced. You have to die. You have to die. How did Jesus save you? He had to what? He had to die. And the Bible calls us the first fruits. Because when a seed falls to the ground and it gets into the ground and it takes root and the plant comes above ground, it produces what? Fruit. But until that seed dies, it can't produce anything. It's a single seed. There are too many single seed Christians in the church today because they don't want to die. They don't want to give up their plans. They don't want to give up their time. They don't want to give up their dreams. They don't want to give up, you name it. They don't want to give it up. Being a Christian requires surrendering that over and over and over again. The process by which God gets fruit from you is you go through seasons where he asks you to die to yourself. Can anybody testify to that? Is it fun? Oh, the season that I am currently in started with me living at home the dream of what I always wanted. And that was to go back to the place that I grew up, tear down that house that we grew up in that had no running water and very few good memories and put a brand new home out there and raise my family on it. And you know what? God blessed me with the opportunity to do that. We had a brand new home and we raised our kids out there. My kids were going to school where I went to school. It was amazing. And then God showed up and said, I need you to die to yourself and come to Florida. It's the single hardest thing I ever had to do. When I was 18 and graduating from high school, I had a division one scholarship on my way and my mind to working to try to become an NBA player. I worked my rear end off to get that scholarship. And I signed that letter of intent. They took my picture and they put it on the front of the paper because I was on my way. I went to St. Louis Christian College to play in a one-day basketball tournament. And the coach, who was a Christian, spoke to us. And God showed up and said to me, I need you to let your dream die and come here. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do. Because here's what happens. Fruit only comes when you're willing to die. And for some of, listen, for some of you, for some of us, the reason why God's not producing any fruit in us is because we won't die. We won't give up that relationship. We won't give up that dream. We won't give up that job. We won't give up this. We won't give up that. Because by gosh, that's what we want. And so we come to church week after week as a single seed and willing to die. And we wonder why nothing is ever produced in us. Because you got to die. Does that make sense to you? Now listen, that's not fun, is it? But dying to Jesus, what did Jesus say? If you want to be my disciple, you've got to first do what? Deny who? Yourself. I spent, you know, I spent months trying to lose 30 pounds so I could get ready to have knee surgery. I lost 27. 
Couldn't get to 30, went on 27. I got lazy on my stuff, and now I've gained 18 of those back. Because I quit denying myself. I started eating bread with my burger, right? I started sneaking a sweet here or there. And just like that, 18 of those 27 pounds have come back. Because denying ourselves is a hard thing. It's what dying to ourselves really is. That's how God produces fruit. Make sense? Yes or no? Right? How many of you are excited about dying to yourself? Thank you. Right? Here's the second way God does it. This is just as fun. Hebrews 12. Endure hardships. Right? Endure hardships as what? Endure hardships as what? Discipline. That Greek word there comes from the Greek word paida, which means to raise child. To bring them up from from birth into adulthood. It requires discipline. It requires training. It requires teaching. It re- Listen, any of you raise kids in here? Getting them from birth to adulthood takes everything. Yes? That's what this word means. Here's what he says. Look at hardship. Anybody here going through hardship or gone through hardship? Right? And, and at times we want to know what God's up to. Listen, you don't got to wonder what God's up to. He says endure hardship as what? Discipline. It's training you to do what? God's treating you as a son or a daughter. He's treating you like one of his children. For what son or daughter is not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, he says, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. So being being a child of God says you're going to go through training, right? And here's what he uses as training, hardships. So he says, moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirit and live? So when he says, when you go through hardships, you can see it as training, as discipline, and you should submit to it instead of fighting it. Why? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for what? Good, that we may share in his holiness No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later, that discipline, however, he says, produces fruits of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Listen, God doesn't just ask us to die and deny ourselves. He puts us through hardships as a discipline so we can produce fruit. That's what a season of pruning looks like. You ever wonder what God does when he prunes you? He disciplines you. He puts you through hardship. Right? And how many times have you gone through hardships and you don't want to submit to it? You don't want to surrender to it. You don't want to accept it. Instead, you tell God, take it away. Take it away. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen? Listen, every time you go through hardship, it's God's way of training you and producing in you fruit. Fruit. Does that sound fun? No. Sounds terrible. But does God require fruit of us? Yes or no? And listen, God's not waiting on your approval. He's going to work on you. He's constantly going to ask you to deny yourself. He's constantly going to try to train you. It's not a matter of him going, you know, they're just not ready. I'm going to wait till they give me the okay sign. No, 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 no. God's much more concerned about his mission than to wait on you. 
He's going to work whether you're ready or not. The challenge is you and I've got to see what, it's, what he's doing in it so that we can learn to submit to it so it can do what it's supposed to do. And here's the last one, James 3.17. James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, so the wisdom that comes from God is first of all pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, submissive, and it's full of mercy, and the wisdom of God is full of good what? Fruit. Right? You and I need wisdom to produce good fruit. We need God's wisdom. Right? And James tells us, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Right? I mean, listen. If you go through a God who's asking you to deny yourself, to surrender to him, to die to yourself. If you're going through a process by where God is disciplining you, my guess is you and I are going to need wisdom. Yes or no? So we should start asking for it. Instead of asking God during the middle of these difficult times, we should ask God for wisdom. I mean, when God showed up, when I was back home asking me to come to Florida, all I did was fight it. I fought it, fought it, fought it. I didn't want to surrender to it. I didn't want to submit to it. And even after I got here, it took me almost a year to finally surrender to it. Now listen, God didn't give up on me. But I can tell you this, he didn't produce a lot in me in that season either, right? So listen, for many of us, learning to answer the question when somebody says to you, how are you doing spiritually? You now have a way to evaluate that, right? You've got a way to evaluate those real practical questions. And you've got a better handle on how God intends to get that fruit out of you. He will ask you to die to yourself. He will put you through discipline and he will tell you to ask for his wisdom in the process. Does that make sense to you, church? Listen, our world needs to see more of Jesus. Would you agree? Yes or no? Listen, only we can do it. Only we can do it. And the reality is we know exactly how to show the world that we truly follow Jesus by producing the fruit that God desires for us to produce. Let's pray. God, I, I, I don't want to make coming to church the thing that I measure about being your follower. Father, I want us to learn to measure the things that matter most to you. And I do pray. I pray for the promise of your word that says that you will guide us into all truth that you would teach us all things and that your word, your word will not return void, but it'll accomplish its purposes. So for all those verses that we shared, all of your word that we shared, God, would you accomplish your purpose in us tonight? I pray in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you church.